Welcome to this podcast from Harvest Community Church of Huntersville, North Carolina, where our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. I'm your host, Liz Stefanini. Happy July 3rd to you. <laughs> I bet I'm the first one to say that, right? So today we continue in Psalm 49. A song of true wealth. I want to put three pictures up and I want you to reflect on them. And in a minute, I'm going to give you a a minute or two to just turn to a person or two around you and, and just react. Just react to what you see. Think about what you see in these pictures. Okay. So here, here we go. This, This is the first one. Here's number two. And that's the third one. All right, so they're they're all all on that. T- take a minute and turn. React. Just react. Well, I'm not not sure everything that that you said, but obviously these are pictures that relate to money, that relate to status, and it could create all kind of emotions uh, in people. When, when you see pictures like that and when you think like that, these people were obviously not alive when Psalm 49 was written. But the writer of the Psalm, had he been writing today, might have had people like this in mind. It's a song about wealth. Let me give you the background of Psalm 49 that, that sets, that sets it up for us. Um, sometimes we can envy the rich and famous. We see people that are comfortable and extremely wealthy and people can envy them. But Psalm 49 encourages us to think very differently about that. So let me call your attention there. If you have a Bible, a device that you can power up and, and see this psalm on there. It will also be on the screen. Our series this summer is called Sacred Songs because we're taking 13 different psalms uh, and one per week looking at them. If you're a, a guest today, we also have a guide that goes with this. Those are available out in the lobby if you were to want to read ahead through the week and prepare for it. And sometimes there are 150 psalms, and sometimes we think erroneously that, oh, all of these must be very, very much alike. And indeed, there are a lot of similarities between the psalms, but they're also very different from each other. And I've chosen intentionally, I felt like God was leading as I was preparing it, but I've chosen some psalms that are different from each other. So, for instance, the very first one we did three weeks ago was Psalm 4. It was a song of distress. The psalmist was just crying out to God. It was a lament. He was crying out to God for, for God to hear him and, and, and rescue him out of his distress. And then we went to Psalm 15. And it was a psalm of character. And it had a lot to do with worship. Because it asked the question, who can live with God? Who can come into God's temple and be in God's presence? And it may have been... The kind of psalm that in the Old Testament, as people came up to the tabernacle, maybe the priests were calling out 
and, and saying these words, or for sure it was definitely a reminder to God's people about what is necessary to be able to worship. And it was to be blameless, which now we know, of course, in the New Testament only comes through Jesus Christ. We can be blameless through Jesus Christ. And then last week, so we did Psalm 4, then we did Psalm 15. Last week was Psalm 19, a song of glory. It was an amazing expression of David who who wrote many of the psalms, not the one that's in front of us today, but he wrote Psalm 19 and he praised God and he it was like he was picturing God as an artist and he and he had canvases where God displayed his glory. The heavens de- declare the glory of God. It was our li- or the word of God and it was also our lives. Today, we come to Psalm 49, and it is a wisdom psalm. There aren't a whole lot of wisdom psalms. There's a lot of wisdom literature in the Old Testament. There's several wisdom books. But this one, most of the psalms are words spoken to God or about God. But as a wisdom psalm, this writer has heard and received wisdom from God, and is sharing it with us. This psalm, in fact, in many ways, is closer to the Proverbs than it is to the rest of the psalms. So that makes it interesting. It is a wisdom psalm. Let's dive into it and hear the wisdom from God for us, what what he said. First to his people in the Old Testament... And it's very, very relevant to the year 2022 in America, no doubt. So let's read the Word of God. Psalm 49, for the director of music of the sons of Korah, a psalm. Hear this, all you peoples. Listen, all who live in this world, both low and high, rich and poor alike. My mouth will speak words of wisdom. The meditation of my heart will give you understanding. I will turn my ear to a proverb. With the harp, I will expand my riddle. Why should I fear when evil days come, when wicked deceivers surround me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches? No one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough so that they should live on forever and not see decay. For all can see that the wise die, that the foolish and the senseless also perish, leaving their wealth to others. Their tombs will remain their houses forever. Their dwellings for endless generations, though they had named lands after themselves. People, despite their wealth, do not endure. They are like the beasts that perish. This is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve their sayings. They are like sheep and are destined to die. Death will be their shepherd. 
but the upright will prevail over them in the morning. Their forms will decay in the grave far from their princely mansions. But God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to himself. Do not be overawed when others grow rich, when the splendor of their houses increases, for they will take nothing with them when they die. Their splendor will not descend with them. Though while they live, they count themselves blessed, and people praise you when you prosper, they will join those who have gone before them who will never again see the light of life. People who have wealth but lack understanding are like the beasts that perish. Now, the theme of this psalm is not hard to discern. <laughs> it's quickly obvious that wealth is on the psalmist's mind. In particular, wealthy people and a certain kind of wealthy person. An oppressive, wicked, wealthy person. And in fact... It seems like the psalmist has an issue. The psalmist has a problem. The psalmist has some of the same emotions that sometimes we have today. And there's a big fundamental question going on. And the question is this. Why is it that there are good and godly and wonderful people that really struggle? And then there are wicked people who don't care about God or care about God's people who prosper, who have more money than they could ever imagine. They have wealth, ex extraordinary wealth, and they're wicked. And then there are people who are godly who don't have that kind of wealth. Why is that? David, not David, as I mentioned, wrote many of the Psalms. Here, it's the sons of Korah. So whoever this author was, whoever penned this psalm, wrestled with this question. It's the same question that's wrestled with in Psalm 73. Why is it that ungodly people prosper? And every one of us is going to look at people and look at situations and make evaluations and think a certain way about people that we would deemed to be extremely wealthy. Now, the reason why I say it that way is all of us here today are wealthy. <laughs> you, you didn't know that, but <laughs> walking in, but we're all wealthy. If you compare the whole world, uh, Americans, the standard of living in America, even among people that are middle class in America or lower middle class or even lower class in America, the standard is so far above the world's average. And yet, so really, we fit into the wealthy category. And then wherever you are in the economic strata, you can always look and you can go, oh, well, now that's a wealthy person. <laughs> that's somebody who's really wealthy. And how do you deal with it? How do you deal with it? Well, this psalmist asks the question, why? Why is there prosperity for the ungodly and not? For the godly. And so watch how in the first few verses he sets it up. Hear this, all you peoples. Listen, all who live in the world. 
this psalm was not just written for God's people. Most of the Bible was written directly to God's people. But this is, this is applicable to Christian and non-Christian. This is applicable to Hindu and Jew. This is applicable to everybody. Every, he's calling out to the whole world. Hey, everybody, please listen to me. And it doesn't matter what your financial status is, low and high, rich and poor alike. In other words, he's trying to call everybody to deal with this issue and to find out what God would say about it. My word, my mouth will speak words of wisdom. Meditation of my heart will give you understanding. Now, the original word in, uh, behind this word wisdom was used of weavers who wove beautiful garments for the priest. And then it came to be used of a skill for living. And that's what wisdom is. Wisdom is not just a, a, a acquisition of more information. It's acquiring God's truth and God's knowledge and being able to use it to live in a certain way, to have a skill for living. This is what he's saying. I'm going to give this to you. Verse 5. Why should I fear when evil days come? When wicked deceivers surround me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches. Now, evil days, that seems to be the context of this psalm. It's, It's hard to identify or harder to identify the context of the Psalms compared to other parts of of biblical literature. The days are evil. The wicked are prospering. They're people deceiving and and they're not godly people. They have a lot of money and and in fact money's their God. They trust in their wealth. They boast of their great riches, and I think this is becoming, potentially, or had already become, a crisis of faith for this writer. Here I am trying to serve God and honor God, but here are ungodly people that are extremely wealthy, and that's where all their trust is, but they're, they're deceitful, and we'll find out other things about them. Christians are called to trust in God, but the people here did not trust in God. They trusted in money, according to verse 6. And the psalmist is wrestling with it. Be, it would be just like, for example, today, say you're, you're at work. And at your work, you are trying to do things the right way. You are a godly person and you're trying to function at work well. You're trying to be a man or woman of integrity in the workplace. And there are all kind of people around you uh, who are willing to do anything and everything to make a buck. Anything and everything to get ahead. They're willing to lie. They're willing to cheat. They're willing to misrepresent the product. They're willing to say anything that the customer wants to hear, whether it's true or not. And maybe there are people in your own company that are willing to step on you to get ahead. And it would be natural for you to go, wow, why, why, are the, why are the ungodly getting ahead? Why are they getting the promotions? Why are they getting the raises? Why are they getting the favor? So this is the question. And that's what the rest of this psalm answers. The psalmist has set it up in the first few verses. And now he's going to answer it beginning in verse 5. And as he answers it, 
There are three things that are here, and this is on your, your, your worship sheet. As we read this psalm, there's a huge reality check. There's also hope, and then there's a challenge. And that's what we want to do as we look at God's word today. We want to see, we want to, we want to take a reality check today about money. And we want to see what hope God offers. And then we want to hear the way he will challenge us. Here's the reality check. No amount of wealth can protect anyone from death. No amount of wealth can protect anyone from death. Verse 7. No one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough so that they should live on forever and not see decay. The concept of redemption or ransom was was uh, found in the Old Testament. The Mosaic law had had a provision that if you were the owner of an ox... And the ox accidentally uh, got out uh, from your property and, and killed a neighbor that you had to pay a fine. But then, after that happened, if you, the owner, if you secured your ox and you kept him in the pen and nothing ever happened again, that was one thing. But let's just say you decided to let that ox still roam and it went out and did the same thing. In that case, then it was capital punishment for you. You were held guilty for that. The farmer would pay with his life. But Exodus 21.30 says that the farmer in that case could pay a ransom and not die. So that was... That was in the Old Testament law. Now, this psalmist basically states that that does not apply across the board in every situation. Nobody can pay a ransom to buy himself out of death. It may have applied in the case of an animal killing someone. But it is not there. Nobody has enough money to say to death, look, what if I give you some money? To keep me alive. It, it's not going to happen. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough. No money is going to allow you to escape that consequence. Money does not save us. As Haddon Robinson says, it's true that money talks, but ultimately, when you face death, money and its talk falls on deaf ears. Verse 10, for all can see that the wise die, that the foolish and the senseless also perish, leaving their wealth to others. Now it's everybody. It's not just the wicked deceiver. It's not just the wealthy that don't love God at all, but even the wise are going to die, right? Uh, the foolish are going to die. The senseless are going to perish. And, and guess who's going to have their money? <laughs> somebody else. Not one of them is going to take one penny with them. Verse 11, their tombs will remain their houses forever, their, their dwellings for endless generations, though they had named lands after themselves. They, 
They did it then just as it's happened today. I mean, this happened way back in Old Testament time, thousands of years ago. People were naming names after lands, especially kings when they would conquer. But so the idea was wealth and status and power and let's name it after. I mean, we have it right here in America right now. We have states that are named after people like Maryland and Georgia, right? Maryland named after the king, King Charles, I think. Yeah, King Charles's wife, Maria. Uh, Georgia after King George. There are cities, Lincoln, Washington. Some people have streets. But even right here in this area of North Charlotte, there are streets, a lot of streets that are named after people. People name things after somebody to honor them, right? Where are those people now? They're gone. They're gone. They, they didn't take anything with them. Verse 12, in fact, in verse 11, the irony is that with all of their lands and all, everything they owned, the only land they're really going to keep is their tomb. Verse 12, people, despite their wealth, do not endure. They're like the beast that perish. This is the reality check. This is what maybe many people do not understand for most of their life. Otherwise, why would we strive so hard to get just a little bit more? To be just a little bit more comfortable. This is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve their sayings. They are like sheep and destined to die. Death will be their shepherd. But the upright will prevail over them in the morning. Their forms will decay in the grave far from their princely mansions. I think it was, I guess it was last Sunday or the Sunday before when the students, our middle and high school students were getting ready to go to camp and we prayed over them. And Becky Hardenbrook's son was going to camp. And we were talking that day afterwards, and she was remembering the time that we went to China. There was a team of a few of us that went to China. Uh, Becky was on that, and she remembered it. it was like 11 years ago because, I guess, Luke was just very young when she went. And when we went to China, we went, uh, we flew into Beijing, but we ended up in southwest China, and we were down in a lot of rural areas working with students, college students, who had taken English classes, but they loved talking to English speakers, Americans. You'd walk on campus and they would just come up to you and want to talk to you and want to practice their English with you. And it was interesting um, that back then, as you would talk to them, Many of them remembered one name. I heard this multiple times from people. I heard the name Kobe. Kobe Bryant, the basketball player. They knew Kobe. (laughs) They had never, seriously, I'm not joking. Some of them had never heard the name of Jesus. But they knew the name Kobe. Now, a couple years ago, January 6, 2020, we were all stunned and shocked 
when a helicopter carrying Kobe Bryant and eight others crashed in a California hillside and they all died. We were stunned about that. At that time, his net worth was $600 million. And he took none of it with him. Last year, in the world, 21 billionaires with a B died. 21, according to Forbes. And none of them took a penny with them. In fact, every rich person who has ever lived has either already died or is going to die and is not going to take anything with them. Every upper class person, every middle class, every lower middle class, every lower class, every desperately poor person, everybody shares this alike. And that is this, when we die, and we all are going to die unless those who are alive when Jesus returns for the second time, there will be a number of people who escape death. But apart from that, everybody's going to die and everybody's going to leave, leave it all. And it might be, it might be you might live a long, what is considered to be a long life. Or maybe like the NFL player last month, 26 years old, linebacker for the Baltimore Raven that died at 26. This is a reality check. <laughs> You're going to probably do this more than you pray or read your Bible. You're going to probably interact with money this week more than you pray or read your Bible. And I am too. It's, it's all the time. It affects us all the time. And this psalm is a reality check. Now, if we stopped here, if the psalm stopped here, this could be kind of depressing. It could be like, what, what, is there any hope? Is there any answer? Does life carry any ultimate meaning? And the good news is, that there is good news. <laughs> there is hope. Even in a psalm like this. Like I said, this is a very unusual psalm. It's not sweet and sappy. But it also has hope. Verse 15. The hope is this. That God will redeem his own from death in order to be with him. God is going to redeem those who belong to him. God is going to buy them back from sin. God is going to rescue us from the grave. God is going to give hope and meaning to this life and a future in eternity with him. In contrast to the zero that ungodly people have to look forward to, Christians have everything to look forward to. So somebody might have it all. Somebody might have mansions on top of mansions and money on top of money, more than they could count or ever spend. But if they're ungodly, they're not following God, they really have zero. Because this life is so short compared to eternity. Now before we look at verse 15, let's go back to verses 7 and 8 in the psalm. No one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough. 
Now, this psalm gives us a glimpse into the future. How? It, I mean, you read that and you go, okay, well, there's, there's no way that anybody can escape death. Death is the winner, it seems, in Psalm 49. But we have more. <laughs> there's more in the Scripture. Because as we move from Old Testament to New Testament, we read this about Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There's no way you can ransom yourself from death. There's no way you can get out of it on your own. There's no way you can pay enough money to escape it. And ransom was common in those days in the context of war. Prisoners would be taken. So, oh, let's pay a ransom. We've got to pay something to get them back. Well, when it comes to spiritual death and the strongest hold that we have on us as human beings, and that is sin, we can't pay it. But Jesus did. He came he lived, he died, he was the son of God, he was equal with God the Father, he, he was showing God the Father on earth as he walked, as he lived, as he died on the cross, and he became our ransom. In verse 15 now, continuing to build on, that's the first hint of hope, and verse 15, uh, verse 15 adds to that hint, and it says... Even the psalmist was saying, God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to himself. How did that happen? How did God redeem, which means to buy back, to buy people out of slavery? How did that happen? Well, it happened through the person of Jesus. And Jesus said to his disciples in John 14, he was about to leave. They were all troubled. They were all disturbed. And he was telling them, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And in verse 3, it, he, he said, I'm going away. And he said in verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may, you also may be where I am. Jesus is going to take us to be where he is. He's not just going to have us here living on this life and then when we die, we're forgotten, we're gone, our money's gone, our experiences are gone. But at that point, he is going to take us to be with himself. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, for we know that if the earthly tent, our body, the earthly tent we live in is destroyed. We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. So that's the reality check. The reality check is there's no amount of money that can allow you and me to escape from death. But the hope is here. The hope is indeed that God is going to redeem his own from death. So I hope as you read this, that this will help all of us look at wealth differently and at wealthy people differently. I hope that it will also let us drive our hearts deeply into the hope that God gives us. And this psalm also gives us a challenge. 
And the challenge is this. Be wise about how you view life and wealth. Be wise about it. Verse 16. Do not be overawed when others grow rich. When the splendor of their houses increases. For they will take nothing with them when they die. Their splendor will not descend with them. Though while they live, they count themselves blessed and people praise you when you prosper. They will join those who have gone before them, who will never again see the light of life. People who have wealth but lack understanding are like the beasts that perish. So don't be overwhelmed. Don't be overawed. Don't look at people with envy and jealousy and say, oh, I wish I had what they had. Because we know what they have may be zero. In fact, people who have wealth but don't have understanding, they are just like the animals. Now, you notice the repetition between, repetition is always important in Scripture. Verse 12 and verse 20 are almost identical, but there's, there's a little bit of difference. <laughs> verse 12 says, people despite their wealth do not endure. They are like the beasts that perish. And then verse 20 replaces the do not endure with lacks understanding. People who have wealth but lack understanding are like the beast that perish. What does this mean? Remember, it's poetry. What it means is, yes, in a sense, we're all like animals. (laughs) We all are going to pass away and be gone. But ultimately, as... As the psalm continues, and we see God's hope, and we see God's answer, and we see that God is really calling us not to be hopeless, but to put our hope in Him rather than in wealth, and to live a a wise life, especially as it relates to money, then we see what happens. The issue is not money itself. The issue is our attitude towards it. The issue is, do we have understanding or not? If you've been blessed with material resources, thank God. Praise God. Keep trusting in God and use those resources for God's glory. So he's not attacking the wealthy or wealth itself. He's attacking an attitude about wealth. And oh, how the New Testament reinforces this. Jesus, you know, told this story. This man came up, you know, wrong views of money. Teacher, there were many instances Jesus had with people like, you know, oh, tell tell him to divide the inheritance with me, this and that and the other. And, And Jesus told them various stories and parables and truths. And, and here in Luke 12, he says, watch out, be on your guard against all kind of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Jesus said to his disciples, Matthew 16, whoever wants to be my disciple must but not deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Paul said in 1 Timothy 6, 
not necessarily those who are rich, but those who want to get rich will fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, O man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And a few verses later in the passage, verse 17, command, Paul says to Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So here's God's word for us this morning. For the wealthy but unwise, death is the final word. But not for God's people. Not for God's people. If somebody's wealthy but unwise, death is it. Death's the final word. But not for God's people. So, let me ask you some questions. How will you respond to God's word today? Will you, if you already belong to God, through Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ, will you praise God today? Will you walk out of here thanking him for being your ransom? For sending Jesus to buy you back? For being your redeemer? Will you praise him and worship him for being that redeemer and giving us hope beyond the grave? Hopefully so. Will you also refuse to join the rat race of trying to get more and more and more? Wherever you are, if you're in middle school, high school, college, you're just starting out, maybe early in your career, maybe it's the first job, maybe you're middle age, maybe you're advanced in middle age, maybe you're close to retirement or you're retired All people at all stages face the same challenge, and it's wanting more. Here's another question. Will you deliberately choose contentment over envy of other people and what they have? If you don't know Jesus Christ personally, if Redeemer is just a word and a concept to you, will you thank him and accept him today as your Savior? And then you will be really rich. And finally, for those also, again, who are believers, will you become even more sacrificial and generous to God's work? We give God not just a tip, not just a little bit, or maybe not even just a tithe, but try to grow and grow and increase and give more and more, knowing 
I'm not taking any of this with me. So how much can I invest in God's work and his people? That's what I can send ahead of me. My dad used to say it all the time and he lived it. He didn't just say it. You can't outgive the Lord. You can't outgive the Lord. And parents, if those of you who are parents, will you not only model this, but will you teach this to your children? You're in a great you're in a great position to teach them that because the the world and everything they see in social media and media and culture is about grabbing, right? Parents, will you teach them? For the wealthy but unwise, death is the final word, but not for God's people. I close with this story that, again, I read from Haddon Robinson through, he talked about it was appeared multiple times in literature. I couldn't find the exact story, but here was, here was the essence of it. This was, this was many years ago when people got their news, not from their feed, not from their device, but they got it from the newspaper. How many of you ever read a newspaper? Just humor me. You've seen a newspaper, you've read, you know what a newspaper is. Okay. So here's a man in this story who opens up the newspaper. And it's an unusual newspaper because it's not dated on that day, but it's six months into the future. And he's reading the news of six months later. And so he starts in the sports section and he sees... The scores of games and stuff. And he thinks to himself, this hasn't happened yet, so I can gamble, I can bet on these teams that nobody would expect to win, because, and I can make a lot of money off of it. And then he sees the stock report, and he sees the stocks that are up and the stocks that are down. So he's like, I can... I can Go invest in all of these stocks that now I know are going to make a lot of money. I'm going to be wealthy. And he's excited. And he keeps turning the pages. And he gets to the obituary section. And he sees a picture of himself. And his story. And all of a sudden. Knowing that he's going to die changes his view towards wealth. And my prayer today for you and me is that Psalm 49 will do that for us. That the reality check and the hope that we see in Psalm 49 will change our view of wealth. We bow your heads with me, please. Thanks again for joining us today from Harvest Community Church. This podcast is also available on our website, harvestcharlotte.com. Please go there if you want to send a question or comment, learn more about our ministries, or find out how you can donate to support the podcast.